kind of going back, I couldn't have been because I wasn't in a good space with myself and you can't show up for others very well when you can't show up for yourself very well. Hello, everybody. You're back at the Faculty Factory podcast, and I'm really excited because something different and something unique. I'm looking at a friend and colleague, Miss Heather Broad. Hello, Heather. Hi, Kim. So good to be here. Nice to see you. Well, I'm just I'm talking with Heather before we started recording. Heather and I go back, it seems, I don't know how many years, but we used to run all around each other at the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs Professional Development Conference for a long, long, long time now. And recently, when I was recording an episode with Dr. Mandy Termulin from Minnesota, she said, well, have you talked to Heather lately? And of course, immediately I flashed back because Heather's got this smashingly gorgeous hairstyle. And I always remember because being, I'm going to be very gender stereotypical now, very classy. And I thought, well, no, what's going on with Heather? And she said, well, she's got a new position. You have to talk with her. And so here we are. So Heather, thank you so much for being in the podcast. Would you mind starting off telling everybody what you used to do at OSU and what has happened most recently? Take it away. All right. Well, thank you, Kim. And thanks for the compliment on my hair. Um, <laughs> so I now it's like in life when there's not much else going on. I always, my, my, my staff in the office know that you do not, I don't even care if it's the dean, you do not cut into my hair schedule. It's on my calendar. Kim's hair, inviolable. Yes. Yes. No, form. Fortunately, I used to have a boss who also appreciated and recognized that. And I would say, I have to go get a haircut. And he (laughs) would always say like, you know, you have your priorities. You have to do what you have to do. (laughs) We have to. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Distraction. Those of you who are real serious about this. All right. Now we're getting serious. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Down to business. Um, So yes, again, thank you. And it's just uh, lovely too that Mandy uh, recommended me. So Minnesota is my alma mater. And so we always get to chat about that. And then as you mentioned, I was at OSU and I was there for a little over a decade And when I was in that position, I was leading the talent development um, center in our college of medicine. And we had the center for faculty advancement, mentoring, and engagement still there, still thriving um, under new leadership. And I'm very glad to still be connected with my wonderful colleagues there. But about two years ago, actually January 31st of 2020, so right before the pandemic, was my last day at OSU. And I had decided um, a couple months prior to that to leave the organization and start my own company um, doing executive coaching and consulting. And so that's what I'm doing today. Okay. So hold the phone, executive coaching. Here we go. Now, those of you who are all about coaching, here we go. It's happening. Here's another one. Heather Broad will be happy to be your coach. But I need to understand Mm -hmm. a couple months before January. Yes. Was it really that you just woke up one day coaching, going to make it happen? How would, how did you ramp up into the topic of that specialty? And then also in two months say, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Well, it wasn't quite that quick of a turnaround. So um, I had gotten my coaching certification in 2019, started the coursework in 2018, Mm -hmm. um, finished it in 2019. And, you know, I'd really been drawn to that because when I thought about the work that I really enjoyed doing, what really um, I felt in flow with, you know, really brought meaning into my day to day, it was the one on ones that I was having. And I did a lot of mentoring, a lot of advising, not coaching. And I did know I wasn't coaching at that time, but I just loved the one on ones. And so as I started to, think about, you know, how could I add more value? How could I make this more meaningful? Then coaching became a really clear path. And many people suggested it to me. And it's like, you know, after like five people are like, have you ever thought about being a coach? You know, at some point you're like, I should really look into this. (laughs) Um, So that's what I did. So I looked into it and then got my coaching certification while I was still at OSU and used it there um, and planned to continue building it out there. Um, but quite honestly, the like kind of pivot, like the, the more sudden pivot was I was just really burned out. 
Mm. Um, and I had been burned out for a while and I hoped that that coaching certification would kind of pull me out of that space of burnout, you know, and give me some sense of renewal. And once that happened and I got the certification and I was doing the work, you know, I was loving the work, but the burnout wasn't going away. Mm. And I was just, I was just burned out. And so I thought something has to give. Um, this isn't the way I want to spend my day to day, not the way I want to spend my life. And there's like, you know, other personal circumstances and everything that also factor into that. Um, but you know, that had been probably a two to three year conversation I'd been having with myself. Um, and then finally, you know, wrestling with all of those things about like, well, I can't leave. I have to stay. I love it here. I have great colleagues. I like my work. I love my work. Like I I really did love my work. Um, And who leaves something that they love, you know, but like, why am I not satisfied? Why do I not want to get up in the morning? You know, so there's all these other questions that are circulating in my head too. And, you know, finally I just decided like, this isn't working and it doesn't matter why it just isn't. And I have to listen to that and I need a break. And so I'm going to do something super scary, like the scariest thing ever. And of course, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, I can always go back, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be really nice to everybody. So just in case I can go back. (laughs) Um, But then, yeah, so I, that, actually making the decision did kind of turn out quick. Um, because like I, I tend to be a person who, um, is very complacent. And then, you know, after a while that complacency is so uncomfortable that I just do the quick 180. And so that's what I did. Um, and it has been really wonderful. Um, it better than I expected. And, you know, the pandemic actually ended up being kind of a blessing for me. Um, one, it gave me some space that I really needed and it took the pressure off, you know, being a kind of high achiever, you know, uh, personality type where it's always like, go, go, go hit the goal. It was really nice to have that opportunity to not be so goal driven to just look at it and be like, okay, the world is in chaos right now. And it is okay for me to read and walk and cook and like, just, you know, take this like self-imposed sabbatical and just be really comfortable with not feeling a lot of pressure. And so after, you know, that, after a few months of that, people just started reaching out because they knew I had left to do this. And then I began to, you know, start dipping a toe in and start working a little bit again. I was like, oh, this feels good. I'm enjoying this. And then of course the people I'm working with are so, you know, burned out and scared and frustrated because the pandemic is so real for them. And of course, everybody in healthcare sees it or saw it in a different way than I ever did. Um, and just, so just being able to be there for people in that situation, uh, felt really good and really affirming about the decision that I had made. Wow. Heather, thanks so much for sharing this story. and. I want to underline before I ask you this question, what you said earlier, Mm -hmm. and that is after about five people said to me, have you ever thought about coaching? And and when you said that, it just tickled me because when we talk and, and as you know, you did in your mentoring advancement Mm -hmm. engagement work at OSU with faculty members over and over and over, sometimes we as faculty members are very aware of our strengths and our gifts and our talents and what puts us, as you said, in flow. Mm -hmm. And yet sometimes those are blind spots to us. Mm -hmm. And it takes other people to say, gosh, Heather, um, I've noticed that you're really good at, or you seem to get really excited when you talk about, or when you do, you're so good at this, fill in the blank. And sometimes we go, really? Oh, I, I didn't realize that, or I had no idea, or I thought everybody did that. And so those aha moments, I think, are just wonderful. And so I guess my underlining about that is invite people to 
give you that kind of give us that kind of feedback and look for relationships with peers and colleagues and mentors and coaches to help us see the things, the great things about ourselves that maybe we are just so, you know, we're we're blinded to because they are innate or we're not even aware of them Mm -hmm. or we're blinded because we're so focused on other things that we don't realize that we're like a hydro. We got about 15 plates up in the air spinning behind us. And we're just, well, that's just common sense. Doesn't everybody do that? Exactly. No, you are uniquely talented. Nobody can turn a phrase like no one can assess, assess a patient like no one can build a lab quite like you. All those things, I think mm-hmm. it's so incredibly valuable. So I love how you said that it finally was an aha moment for you that maybe you really you knew it, but never really truly considered you know, coaching as a profession until a number of people said, come on, man, this other, you got to do it. No, I definitely didn't. But here's the funniest part. And in, you know, preparation for our talk today, I've just been, you know, reflecting a lot. And I recalled that back in 2017, I went to a conference and it doesn't matter which conference it was, but we were doing some visioning kind of exercise And the facilitator was like, okay, now we're going to work on our vision statement. So put it down. And I wrote down that my vision statement was to help others self-actualize. And I didn't know. Yeah. Right. I didn't know what that meant. You know, I had to actually look up and be like, self-actualize. Is that really the word that I meant? And then I looked up the definition and I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Um, But I didn't know how I was going to bring that to fruition, you know? And so the action from there kind of proceeded along the lines of like, okay, well, in my organization, these are things I could do. This is the kind of role I could have. These are the kind of programs I could put on. Um, But yeah, coaching wasn't yet in the picture at all for me. And so, you know, just, I, I just believe that it's one of those things, once you kind of put it out there, then and open your mind to it, things start coming your way. Um, And it is, it's just that process of being open. And when people say things to you, like listening and appreciating that they're, you know, giving you input or feedback for a reason. Um, And sometimes that can even be the, like things we don't want to hear, right? Like you never have to accept the feedback, but at the same time, if you can be open and curious to it, you might just learn something. And also another plug that I want to underline is that sometimes these exercises, as you mentioned at a conference, you were doing a visioning thing, mm-hmm. the, the softer kind of woo-woo things where I also went to a conference one time and we, I walked into the room and there was uh, glue and glitter <laughs> and pipe cleaners and Play-Doh. And I was like, oh no. And I almost like ran out. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. And I had to force myself. And again, this is just because we're all different, different preferences. Other people be like, yay, play. And I was like, oh, no, it's one of these. But after I you know, was called out from trying to sneak out the back door and sat down and said, OK, Kim, you know, open your mind to this. I found myself begrudgingly going, oh, man, now I get why this is important. I just tapped into something really serious here. And it really stuck with me the process of taking that time to go inward mm-hmm. to to reflect to think to have gratitude to say wow if money were no issue issue if i were an oprah what would i do what brings me joy and all that kind of soft stuff mm-hmm. it gets to my values and who am i as a person we don't do that because we're running 100 miles an hour so I think you just put another plug in for that seven, you know, 2017, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and it's similarly, Heather, I, I was going through old file folders um, right when middle of COVID. I, was, I thought, well, it's a great time to clean out my office since I'm mm-hmm. never here anymore. And I, and I pulled up this dusty old file folder and it was one of those retreat things I had done. Oh my gosh. 30 years ago. Oh, I was in, I was getting my PhD at Case Western. And, you know, where would you ultimately like to be? And it was one of those things. I like to be at an institution with colleagues who are smart and they're doing a lot of research and they're collaborative and I'm productive and I'm allowed to be creative and I'm helping and I'm serving. And I looked and I'm like, and where am I now? Uh, I'm, <laughs> at, I'm at Hopkins. 
change? What? <laughs> Are you? Come on. I wrote this down on a piece of paper and mm-hmm. there it sat and like here I was. So I too agree with you that you put that out there um, and lo and behold, wow, it's going to happen. I, yeah. I, want, I want to ask you, Heather, and, and if I interrupt, did I interrupt you? Nope. Super, super smart. So you, when you also said, when this happened for you, right end of January, right before COVID. Another kind of point about timing, isn't that interesting? Can you imagine as you were describing, you're feeling burned out and why don't I want to get out of bed in the morning? I'm just kind of tired. And imagine had you not had that courage and all of a sudden now COVID hits. And certainly you're the kind mm-hmm. of type A, like everybody else listening to this, this podcast and you would have rallied and you would have done it. Yep. Knows at what cost and what right. sense to your body, your body, your mind, your spirit, your soul. Mm-hmm. But isn't that some serendipity that right at the end, at the end of January, right before COVID hits, you had that space. And so not also good for you for the time to reflect and recalibrate and pivot, but also then to be available fully to people who are now getting whammied by all that. Yeah. Just a, a yeah, profound. I love it. Well, it 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 really felt like that. And you know, honestly, early on in the pandemic, you know, like March, April of twenty. I mean, I sat there thinking to myself, like, I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> you know, like I could be of better value if I were still at my organization helping people there. Um, but no, like again. kind of going back, I couldn't have been because I wasn't in a good space with myself and you can't show up for others very well when you can't show up for yourself very well. So it did, does still feel serendipitous that that's how the timing worked out. And the pandemic ended up being a restorative time for me. And I feel you know, in a way kind of guilty saying that again, knowing what so many other people went through and so many hardships that were endured. Um, and so like now because of that, I feel this extra obligation to serve, to give back, to give of myself because my reserves are full. I'm, I am full. And so I can give, 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 and I, I, I feel good about it. And I am out there with whatever anybody needs. Um, yeah. What a good reminder of filling our own tanks in every meaning of that concept so that we can then be at our peak performance. I think mm-hmm. that's great. Oh, I lost the track of thought. I was going to um, ask you something, but it'll, it'll come to me. Oh, oh gosh. So I know you wanted to talk about a couple topical um aspects. Oh gosh, what was the other thing I was going to ask you? Oh yes, this is it. So it was, you're making me think about, you know, the courage you had to finally muster it up and like, I'm calling the ball, man, this is it. Is I think of late career faculty members and not necessarily only late career faculty members, but people who are considering transitions and it could be Mm -hmm. still within academic medicine. Do I take that directorship job? Do I run the fellowship program? Do I really submit that grant? I know I'm going to get it. It's going to change my life. Do I take that course? Do I, et cetera, et cetera. Or late career, do I pull the plug? Am I ready to retire full-time, go part-time, take another gig, go to another institution? How did you, can you think of a couple things that finally allowed you to let go mm-hmm. And because I think some of the reason why some of us let go, don't let go or have problems letting go is our fingers are so dug into what we're having in the past that we, we don't, we can't let go to see like what's in the future or we, we don't, there's nothing there. It's all fuzzy or Mm -hmm. clear. So it's hard to let go of something and jump to the future when it's a big uh, black hole. So how did you get from releasing the stranglehold on the past and also seeing very clearly you little guy sticking out of the mm-hmm. rock. I'm going to grab onto you and then mm-hmm. feel good enough to, okay, I've got that one ahead of me. I got one hand behind me and I'm releasing that behind me and I'm jumping to that mountain. Can you mm-hmm. think of a couple of things that let you pitch yourself forward? Um. Oh yeah. Let me see. 
Cause yeah, now I'm trying to like put myself back in that time. Yeah. Um, and just really think, cause I mean, it really, it wasn't easy. And so for, you know, anybody who might be listening about making this type of transition, you know, I mean, this really was ultimately, I would say years in the making. Um, it was, you know, pretty nondescript at first. It was just this feeling of like something needs to change, but I don't know what that thing is. And then that became kind of an evolution. And at one point I even was questioning, do I even like this work? You know, do I like my job? I had to work through all of that. And I was like, no, I really do. Okay. So it's not the work. Um, but then like, what is it? And, and so it was like, just kind of noticing, like, why do I feel dissatisfied and what's really important to me? And I was able to identify that, you know, for me, autonomy is a huge driver. It's the biggest driver. I crave, need tons of autonomy. And second to that is impact. So I need to know that I am making an impact and it needs to be like very tangible to me. So I think that's part of the reason why I love the one-one work so much um, or small group work or anything, because it's immediate, it's there, you're, you're in dialogue, you're getting feedback, you're seeing transformation occur. And I'm also like a wannabe behavioral psychologist. <laughs> like I, I'm really into behavior and human behavior and, you know, why do we do not even why do we do the things that we do, but what do we do? Um, how does that uh, affect us? How does that af affect other people's impressions of us? Mm -hmm. um, so I love the behavioral piece of it too. But then back to like the specific, you know, why did I finally kind of muster up the courage to leave? I think it in a weird way, I, I would almost say like it didn't feel courageous. And a lot of people have said like, you're so brave, you're so courageous. But I think if I frame it like that in my own mind, that to me is kind of scary to me. I think I framed it more like it was an experiment and I had been doing this thing for a long time, you know, this work at this steady state run institution with lovely coworkers that I'd known for a long time and, you know, a steady paycheck and all of that. Um, and so then to be able to kind of shift, I, I framed it as an experiment, like, well, I'll try this. And I remember one night I had this long conversation with my husband because I also felt like I don't, I, I really am reluctant to use this word, but if I'm totally honest, this is the word in my head. I wanted his permission. And I think part of it, honestly, that I wanted his permission was because I, I wanted him to share the responsibility <laughs> of the decision. You're the one. I remember, <laughs> let the records reflect in yes. day, on this date at that time. Yes. Said, Heather, I think this is a great decision. You have my full permission. I'm on board. So you, it was you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, so I needed him to share that with me. Um, cause it felt so, it felt so scary and it felt like a bigger cliff than it was. Mm. And I remember, and I, gosh, I wish I could remember exactly his words, but he was something like, he just looked at me and I think he was so tired of hearing me. Like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And I think he just finally looked at me and he was like, hard. yeah, he goes, it's going to be fine. I know you, everything you do turns out fine. And you can always go back. And I was like, I guess I could. <laughs> I'm not going to blow up everything and run up and burn the house down. Endorsement. So to me, I knew yeah. permission. It's like, I thought endorsement. Mm -hmm. so interesting psychological process. Thank you for your honesty, Heather, for sharing this. And yeah, as, as scientists, don't we always do beta tests? And when anybody says well, we don't have the money for that, well, like this is just a pilot, just a pilot, I'm a pilot. I'm going to do a pilot company where I'm just going to do a beta test and stuff. This little, and then there's a safety net. So you, what mm -hmm. you're what you're describing is yeah. what I'm hearing is that you didn't do an abrupt, violent, aggressive. 180. I'm selling the house. I'm selling all my clothes. I'm going to get a backpack. I'm going to go off the grid and opposite, 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 opposite of everything. No, right. You, just, you know, you're doing the same. You don't have to go out and learn 
you know, trigonometry or something, mm-hmm. you're like, this is what I'm doing. This is, but I'm just making a slight adjustment. And and the other thing you talk about that I think is so important that I promise I'm going to shut up and I want to hear more about your content, your, the juicy stuff today mm-hmm. is values. Yeah. You talked about autonomy and impact. Those yeah. were obviously the values that are so foundational to you. And that is a great tool for us to explore when we are misaligned, when our personal values are not aligned with our daily grind, if you will, knowing that we always can't be living in Pollyanna world. But if autonomy and impact is big, most important to Heather, and she's got a micromanaging boss, not that that you ever did, but pretend, and you, nobody ever gave you any feedback, it'd be completely contrary. And obviously you would be burned up because you you're not living in alignment with your values. So thank you mm-hmm. also for pointing out the importance of us during those reflective moments. Well, what is important to me? Not only what am I good at, what do I love, what am I gifted at? And my friends can help see, help me see that, mm-hmm. but what is important to me? Yeah. So and for that. me, yeah, no, thank you. Cause that, that really articulates it clearly. And also, you know, I think the piece that I would speak to and might especially be Um, for anybody else who's thinking about making a transition is not just like the values and how they might be manifest in career, but what life do I want? You know, sometimes we talk about work life and we imply that they're separate things, but what is the whole picture? What is the life that I want? And what is the role that work plays within my life? Mm. And so taking a step back and thinking about it from that perspective also helped me realize like working 10 hour days is not affirming for me. Mm -hmm. It is draining. Um, And again, it's not like, you know, it's not like my days were comprised of terrible things. They were great things. They were interesting things with wonderful people. Uh, But it was still just that sheer fact of, and this is where it rubbed up against the autonomy. It was, you know, simply that my calendar was not my own and I didn't really get a lot of choice in picking and choosing the meetings that I attended or was invited to, you know, the types of, I mean, I had a lot of say over like the types of things that we did. And, you know, I did get a lot of self-direction over the, the center that I led, but like then, you know, just the whole rest of the enterprise being part of this gigantic system, uh, you know, it does, it does take your time in a way that you can either feel good about or not. And I was not feeling good about the way that my time was being utilized. So when I thought about lifestyle too, and thought about branching out on my own, a big part of it was that I wanted my day-to-day to look a certain way. I wanted to have freedom and flexibility uh, to do other things in my day other than, you know, walk in the door at sunrise and walk out the door at sunset. (laughs) Right, right. I love how you put that work is not my life. I was picturing like this Venn diagram and circles, like so many of us, our work is our life. Well, Mm -hmm. nothing else. Work equals life. And Mm -hmm. you're saying that it's not a, it's, it's, I'm looking, I'm thinking of causal arrows and a causal model. Work mm-hmm. does not define my life. Work is a bubble component of my life, mm-hmm. not the entirety of. And I think, unfortunately, and certainly during the pandemic, all of our, you know, amazing superhero frontline providers are like, no, that, that literally was my life. There's no, there was no choice. Right. Do you want to come in and save patients' lives today? Yeah, not so much. Of course. Right. That was just, that was part and parcel. All the more this past couple of years, providing so much evidence that you're exactly right, Heather. There is no walking out of the door and coming home and leaving work at home. Everything, everybody, because we're all at home and have the capacity at home and have our devices and our phones and everything is constantly bleeding into each other. All the more reason to understand the difference between a life, the life we want and envision and want to be known for and and experience fully is not just work. That's just mm-hmm. a little itty bitty thing. And we get consumed. And many of us are in seasons of life, our careers, where that 
does feel like that is a totality mm-hmm. and work that the work bubble is expanding to nudge out all other life things. And hopefully um, through coaching um, at Heather at heatherbroad.com. <laughs> Again, the email is Heather at heatherbroad.com can help you uh, envision a life that fills your cup versus draining it. So yeah. So well said. What? Well, A, thanks for the plug. And um, <laughs> well, thank and, you. Go ahead. Oh, I know. I was just going to say, you know, what that made me think of is, um, and maybe you've seen it in your own coaching practice, Kim, but the life wheel. Yes. Are you familiar with that tool? Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. It's so simple. And, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it is literally a circle, and that circle is divided into wedges. And the wedges are either something you can name for yourselves, or you can get one that has names around them, but it divides life into these different, um, you know, wedges of pie, like spirituality and relationships and work and um, hobbies, right, health, things like that. And so it, it provides this picture of, you know, how how full is my pie in these different sections? And it's not to say that my pie has to be full in every section, but it's like, if my piece of pie is, is small in one part, it's a way of looking at it and saying, am I okay with that? Mm -hmm. You know, am I okay that I am investing a lot into work and maybe it is at the expense of the amount of time I invest in spirituality or something, you know, and if you're okay with that, you're okay with that, but it's nice to have that visual that can you know, help bring that to, to the surface. You're exactly right. And there's no right answer. It's right. It's individual because mm-hmm. somebody is saying, listen to this right now saying this sounds um, ideal. Maybe uh, when I'm, if I can expand my life and I'd love to do other things in my life other than work, but right now at this stage of my career, I, this is it, you know, I am I'm unattached. I'm out of school. I don't have a partner. I don't have children. I don't have a mortgage. Um, and this is what I intend to do for the next five years is going to write grants, get funding, see patients, build my practice, build my lab. Oh, and if you're fine with that, like you said, fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then that awareness of, okay, and now I'm entering a new season of my life and that let's re-examine the pie wedges. Mm. Yep. Pie. You got pie. Me. Uh, pie. <laughs> pie. <laughs> so uh, talk to us about a couple or at least a couple, always one really cool, like content areas you wanted to discuss today. Yeah. Um, so I coach primarily women, um, which is not to the exclusion of men. I accept men in my practice. Uh, it's just kind of taken shape, you know, via my own personal interests and then the networks that I have, um, that I really coach primarily women and a lot of women in academic medicine, in academia in general, professional services, my, um, expertise is, you know, starting to branch out a little bit more. Um, but I would say the, the core part of my practice is still really within academia and academic medicine. Um, And, you know, there's a few things that I've been noticing, and one is completely in line with the conversation we just had about, you know, how do you make those choices and transitions um, that are going to be in your best interest? And how do you even put your own interest first, which I think can be really hard for women uh, because of the way we're socialized. We are so accustomed to putting everyone else's needs above our own uh, that, being able to identify for ourselves what it is that we really want and then work in that direction is a process. And so that's one aspect of the coaching work that I love to do. Um, and then the other thing, and this is just a little more, I think, um, kind of in the habits or behavioral space that we are talking about is r- around communication. So I've been noticing in my coaching practice how much inference and assumption plays a role Mm -hmm. in people's interpersonal dynamic challenges. (laughs) And that is at the root of so much of people's presenting issues when they come to coaching. Um, And I think there's, there's so much depth here um, that, you know, I, I don't even know exactly what direction to take it, but, you know, one thing that occurs to me is, you know, how much we internalize some of the 
assumptions or inferences as they're brought in our direction. And then the other part of it is how we can ultimately have better relationships. Uh, And the way in which we communicate and communicating when we use observation ahead of inference is a much more effective way to ultimately get what we want than when we assume we understand other people's motivations and, you know, what we're hearing from others as well. Right. So there's, there's so much implicit assumption (laughs) that I think is made. And so, yeah, so that was something I was interested in exploring and seeing if it was of any interest to your audience. Oh, I know it is because Heather, so many things. When I first got trained in the Myers-Briggs type Mm. story, Mm -hmm. something else, when I came to Hopkins about nine years ago, I was told, well, you have to get certified in this. And I thought, what is this? I mean, you know, okay. And then I I got the certification. I'm like, oh, there you go. Now that explains why I always thought that person didn't like me. Well, she Mm -hmm. may not like me, (laughs) but but when I realized that, oh, she's an introvert. Mm-hmm. My extreme, she was a high introvert, and mm-hmm. my extreme extroversion just just smashed her in the face because my energy and my also personal bugaboo that drives people nuts is I'm a close talker. I tend to want to hug everybody and get into people's personal space, and it was off putting to her. And just my energy and my the way I just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk to figure that the more I talk, I'm going to finally come to make sense about something. And she was mm-hmm. more of a thoughtful processing person. So she just thought I was an idiot that I just yammered all the time and wanted to hug people. So, and I thought she just didn't like me again, could have been true. More <laughs> likely her personality preferences, the way she, how she got her energy, either extroverted or introverted, how she liked to get information, a sensor or intuitor, and I'm an intuitor and she was a real sensor. She was a statistician. So it's all about the details and all about the abstract metaphor, big picture. And then how she made the decisions, you know, thinking or thinking or feeler. I'm in the middle, but mostly a thinker and she was a high feeler. And then judging, proceeding, how we relate to the world. Am I like an agenda, order, structure, which I am, versus perceiving, which is very kind of spontaneous and not followed by like to explore opportunities and, and not be so driven to closure because they like to you know, think about possibilities. We were opposites. And so that realization of my making assumptions about people like, oh, what a jerk. He's mm-hmm. just mean, or he's a bully, or she just doesn't like me, or she is uh, envious, or she is in a fill in the blank, all those judgy things that I would go to when I was able to then stop and reframe the the relationship and put it in a different well maybe why are you personalizing this or another way of thinking other than personality preferences they're having maybe they're having a bad day i mean who know you don't know the backstory of what's going on in his life or her life today don't personalize this is not necessarily about me mm-hmm. it's about i don't know what's going on in the backstory there so what that you know you're you're right that don't go up the assumption ladder. You know, what am I making all this? Check the assumptions. And I'm not sure, Heather, in your practice, if you, I learned this from my college of executive coaching certification from Dr. Jeff Auerbach. He said, one of his coaches in the training talks about draining the bucket, Mm. asking a bunch of why, why, why's until somebody wants to punch in the face, I guess. Because Mm -hmm. I keep thinking if someone keeps saying to me, why, 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 I'd be like, Heather, you asked me why one more time. And it's just the cuffs, baby. But it was the why, why, why. And at some point down the why bucket, you start realizing like, well, I don't know why. I, I guess you're right. I just assumed I had to do that. Well, why would you assume that? I don't know, because I'm I'm a good girl. I always do what I'm told to do. Well, why do you think mm-hmm. it is? Oh, I know exactly why that is. <laughs> so that whole um, assumptions, I love it. Yes, yeah, so let's let's get into it. I'll shut up. You tell us more about how we we make these you know inferences and assumptions that lead us astray. Yeah, well, I think you um, mentioned it before. You know, a lot of it is that we personalize everything. So we, oh goodness, we also think that I don't know if you just heard that weird ding. Okay, yep. guess that was just in my headphones. 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, so much is personalized and, you know, just like the example you provided, you know, you're walking down the hallway and somebody's coming toward you and they have, you know, maybe narrowed eyes and their mouth is pointing down furrowed brow. They, um, you know, kind of walk by somebody, you know, they walk by, they don't acknowledge your presence. And, you know, you're probably going to think like, wow, what a jerk or what did I do to that person? You know, rather than being curious about, gosh, I wonder what is happening with, you know, Kim, she looks um, upset. I mean, that's making the inference there, obviously, but, you know, it's being curious about the observation. So what did I notice? I noticed that eyes were narrowed. I noticed that brow was furrowed, lips were turned down. Um, I think she looks upset and, you know, I'm not going to assume it's necessarily about me um, just because, you know, she happened to not smile at me or or acknowledge my presence when we walked by. Um, And, you know, those things can get carried so deep beyond that. So if we want to take away from that exchange, which, you know, that's not even verbal communication, that's just nonverbal in this example. But if we want to take away from that, that like, wow, Kim is a jerk or she's really pissed off at me, you know, that's going to then be the story we tell ourselves. We might tell that story to somebody else. Right. You know, who's a jerk, <laughs> Kim. Uh-huh. And now we're inadvertently damaging somebody else's reputation and credibility, or maybe we mean to do it, which I certainly hope not. Right. But I think a lot of times it's unintentional that we de- derive these impressions of people. And then we carry that impression forward. And if we're really influential, we can do some inadvertent harm or damage to That's somebody. Right. And some of the work that I've been doing is with people who have been hurt and they have had their reputations developed for them. And they're completely unaware that there is a perception of them that exists that is so misaligned with their own sense of self. And they don't understand, you know, how is it that I'm not getting done what I need to get done hmm. or, you know, can't make traction here or get pushback or resistance here? Um, and so, you know, in part, I think, you know, there's the onus on all of us to try to understand how it is that we're perceived, how it is we're showing up. You know, we have to take responsibility for that. But from the perspective I come from is also with respect to how are organizational leaders perpetuating some of these um, inferences or assumptions and what role might they have in stopping the cycle and to what benefit? Whoa, 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 that, now that, see, you just took a left turn there (laughs) that I'm so excited about left turns because you had me going down the path of at the personal level Mm-hmm. Of my emotional intelligence, my mm-hmm. EQ, you know, Daniel Goldman stuff, like yep. knowing myself to better manage myself, knowing others to better manage those relationships. What must I do? My 360 evaluation. What, how do people see me? And in my Kim Skrupski's mediation work, I'm, I, I'm a trade of mediation and person A was saying, well, this is what happened. A, B, C, D, E, F, G happened. And that, and person two says, no, it's J, K, L, M, N, O, P happened. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. it's not your truth, her truth. How did you experience that situation? Because guess what? If I say, well, Heather, this is how I experienced it. Mm-hmm. Heather can't say to me, Kim, you did not experience that. <laughs> it's my experience. I'm telling you, that's how I experienced it. And now we have a new, oh my gosh, I had no idea that when I agreed to co-author your paper that you meant this or what that when I said that I was going to share this biological specimen, you thought that, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm thinking it was Mm -hmm. all personal. So what do I have to own, you know, fixing me almost kind of like the anti-burnout stuff of I need to meditate. I need to be more mindful. I need to do yoga. I need to eat better. I need mm-hmm. to eat better. And now Heather Brode, <laughs> just flip the switch on us saying, yes, that's important. And boom, let's get to the macro level. What do our institutions, our employers, our leaders, what is their obligation? What do they owe us? So mm-hmm. go, I can't wait yeah. to hear this. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks. Because I do think that that's a large component in this. I mean, to the extent that, yes, we are all personally responsible. Yes. And though, from the role of a leader, I truly believe that a leader's number one job is to make people feel heard. And so often it is, a, in my um, experience, in my observation, there are certain voices that carry more weight and maybe it's positional, it's title, it's authoritative. Um, and there are leaders who allow those voices to carry without doing their due diligence to surface what's really happening behaviorally. They accept on the surface, you know, so-and-so is difficult mm -hmm. or um, this person is not promotable or, you know, any number of things, right? I mean, these conversation situations happen on a daily, hourly basis. Uh, and so for leaders in particular, especially when dealing with any form of conflict, especially when dealing with any interpersonal dynamics, to be able to take that step back and say, you know, well, what do you mean by that? What does that look like? When you say difficult, what is this individual doing? Mm. And this also in the work I do and in my frame of mind um, comes back to equity. And I think part of the reason that women often struggle is because women don't act like men. And our organizations, by and large, are created for and by men. And this is a historical trend. This isn't anything, you know, dismissive of men or derogatory. Um, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, we've had organizations that have been run by privileged, typically white, heterosexual men. Um, that operate in a very certain way, women, you know, domestic and certain skills, traits admired and nurtured in them. And so, especially when women go against those traits of being really likable, really nice, really helpful, all of those things that we admire, those socialized traits, and maybe somebody is more direct or um, more assertive of her needs, you know, those behaviors tend to get labeled mm -hmm. and there's a shared impression of what that is. And though we don't really know. And so then that individual has no ability to even try to fix the behavior because nobody is telling her what it actually means. It's just, even if she has the pleasure <laughs> or luck of finding out she's perceived as aggressive. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Mm. And so people come to me and they'll say things like, well, I don't know, apparently I'm aggressive and I need to like soften it up. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> like You reminded me my friend was one of my friends here in Hopkins is like, um, apparently I don't smile enough. And so she has this big, like clown like the, the joker on the batman like smiles like i'm like no maybe you shouldn't smile because that smile is kind of scary <laughs> I'm like what does that mean i get feedback that i don't smile enough and would anybody ever tell our male colleague you don't smile enough <laughs> she's so it, it, it was a real um punch in the nose for her yeah yeah and it can be you know so as it is we're in this space that is not entirely designed for us and we're trying to navigate it. And then we're trying to shift our behavior because we get some feedback that, well, this isn't working. So I'll try this, but it's inauthentic. And so then, right, like your example, now you have this big smile and you look <laughs> weird. And it was like, oh, that's scary. So, you know, you, you do this 180 and that doesn't work either. Um, and so I just, you know, for me, it really does come back to this role of leadership with respect to role modeling, good behavior, mm -hmm. and taking that step back and really seeking out objectivity with respect to, well, we know, what does it mean? And then from that leader's vantage point to be able to, you know, be more inclusive of a lot of different types of behavior or things that are occurring to be able to you know, not just accept that certain things are good, certain things are bad. Um, and yeah. yeah, I don't know where else I'm going with that. But No, I'm totally with you, Heather. It's like being curious. Yeah. And as a leader, building a culture mm -hmm. where I'll maybe assign someone in every meeting to be the naysayer or to be the 
opposite of group thinker or, mm-hmm. or the listen between the lines or, or like, okay, Kim, at today's meeting, um, your role will be you know, like old days that you've like, you be the scribe, you be the timekeeper. Like you're the person who's going to punch a hole and, and tell us, wait a minute, are we forgetting mm-hmm. anything? Yes. We make an assumption about this. Is there another way of thinking about this? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be not only a person, but a process, a patient, a, uh, uh, a budget, a grant, are we, what would somebody else, let's think opposite of this. If this is going to go wrong, where is it going to go wrong? Mm-hmm. We're going to forget something. What are we going to forget? Um, if this goes completely haywire, you know, how might that look? What that would look, or what will success look like? What's failure going to look like? So that pausing, that moment of being curious mm-hmm. can sometimes if in you and as a leader creating that culture where like, you know, we're not getting out of this meeting with the like, yep, 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 yep. But wait a minute, hold the phone. Let's think carefully. Let's be curious about good things, a decision we're all excited about, but also the when we want to go to the negative and say, no, we're not going to hire that candidate or we're not going to promote that person or that person shouldn't get the leadership job. Let's explore. You know, let's are we being fair? Are we really draining the bucket as to why we all jump to that or why we've all come to that conclusion. Are we being, Mm -hmm. so I like how you're pointing to the leader. And as you coach leaders Mm -hmm. and coach people to interact with their leaders and grow Mm -hmm. with their leaders, that there's ample opportunity on all ends to be curious and say, may I please pay, play devil's advocate with my own life or with the advice you're saying or with the decisions we're making? That I think that's brilliant. I think it's great. Yeah, well, and there's this concept from um, Crucial Conversations. It's about creating the pool of shared meaning. Yeah. And, you know, so even if you take like the example before about authorship, you know, so if we're sitting around and we're writing a paper together and I say, Hey, Kim, you know, I really think I should be first author on this. Um, and I don't tell you, you know, it's because, mm-hmm. you know, it was my idea. And, um, you know, I, I'm probably going to be doing the majority of the work. So I, I think I should have first authorship. <clears throat> if I don't share that and I just say I want to be first author and maybe you're thinking to yourself, wait, Heather, you know, I'm an untenured assistant professor and I really need this first authorship publication for my promotion. Like rude, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so if I just, you know, put that out there without the qualification, you know, it's harder for you too. It doesn't invite you in to say, well, I understand that. And though, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could use a first authorship publication. I'm willing to do the work for it. It'll help me with my tenure. You know, would you consider being senior author? Right. So now we're creating a pool of shared meaning where we have the opportunity to both put out what we need and want into that pool. And we're now not operating from assumptions of, you know, well, clearly, you know, this is just about selfishness and glory, you know, that there are reasons and wants behind it. And then it gives us an opportunity to find a common space where we can both win. Oh, beautiful, Heather. Beautiful. So rather than my saying, making an assumption, as you said, Heather doesn't care about me. Mm -hmm. She, what a jerk. She knows that she knows that right away. Oh, but does she, does she? And sometimes I, I often find myself reminding faculty members with whom I meet regularly, they'll kind of like launch it. Oh, thanks for meeting with me, Kim. Remember last time we talked about, and you told me that, and I'll be like, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't remember. I told you that. Well, yeah. Remember. And I'd say, please, you have to kind of let's, I, I know this is annoying to you mm-hmm. because in your life and this sounds mm-hmm. like maybe I'm being kind of waggling my finger in your life, you're the primary actor. You're the lead actor. Mm-hmm. And in my life, I'm sorry, but you're not the lead actor. Um, so that kind of recognition, again, emotional intelligence of an awareness yep. with whom am I going to be speaking? What is his or her recollection? Mm-hmm. But I'm his mentee. Of course he knows me. Really? Right. You're his only mentee. Right. And his whole life, he's got a big sticky note with your face plastered on his monitor and everything's about you. So that kind of humility always reminds me, Tim, let's not make an assumption that he 
knows that about me or remembers that about me. And sometimes that assumption, if I say something, now they're going to think, oh, it's all about her. But the, the quick question is, gosh, you know, I was really hoping I really need that one paper. And Heather might say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Why don't you take this one and I'll take the next one or I'll be seeing your UB person or how about the next paper and a little flip-flop that little moment of, okay, Kim, don't run down the track of 15 assumptions and get, get my knickers in a knot here. What's the worst I can say? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the worst that could happen if I put that out there? Mm-hmm. Heather could be like, no, forget it. No, no is a complete sentence. And I'd say, okay, <laughs> but if, but you're right. It lies with the leader and we're all leaders. Hello. Yes. All leaders at all levels that we create that safety where people, we invite people and then don't jump down their throat when they do go down that line of inquiry and asking questions and exploring. That's so important. I love this. Yeah. And you know, that's, yes, we are all leaders and absolutely in that perspective. And I just think the culture of academic institutions being hierarchical, uh, academic medicine in particular, there's also a lot of command and control leadership that we see, which is necessary, right? I mean, you want command and control in the ED. <laughs> you, yeah. That's a great place for it. You don't want a whole bunch of people standing around trying to decide, no, well, what do, what do you think? What do you think? What do you why? think? Right. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's ask 17 whys. Why? Yes. Why? Yes. No, you want somebody who is going to make the decision, right? So, and though that's situational awareness. So that's being able to say in this circumstance, command and control works very well. And though in other areas, we need to take a step back from that. Mm. And, you know, and I think this really goes back to, and this is now like layering on and layering on things, but I think this also can contribute to why people don't feel heard, why people are leaving, why burnout is such a an issue, you know, because everybody wants to bring their best selves to work. They want to contribute. And if we're not providing as leaders, if we're not providing the space, if we're not creating the curiosity, if we're not surfacing what everybody needs and wants, and then providing that opportunity for people to say what they want and, you know, normalize these different power dynamics, then, you know, a lot of people in those junior ranks in particular are just going to feel invisible and angry. (laughs) And, you know, when we talk about, well, what's the exit ramp there, it is, you know, like if I can't get any traction here, if nobody's going to listen to me, why am I going to stay? I'm out. Of course. Mm -hmm. Calculation. That's, that's survival. That's kind of Maslow's getting to the very um, root of our needs. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Heaven, this is so good. I did for you. Thank you. I know we've really, we've really covered a lot of ground. It feels like it's like three kind of different conversations all wrapped up into one here. So much. You'll have to come back and do another segment on this, but Hey, everybody in faculty factory, this is Heather at heatherbro.com, right? Coaching. Now you understand, hopefully you've learned a little bit about transitions and, you know, but encouraged and inspired by someone who did a trend, made a transition, a pretty big one. And you've learned something about interpersonal communication. And this has been really, really great. So Heather, uh, final comments are yours. (laughs) Gosh, no, I don't think I have any final comments other than to say, thank you. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about all of this stuff. And yeah, I would be happy to come back anytime and continue the conversation um, about this or any other topic. So I I just really appreciate you inviting me. It's been so much fun. Well, you will definitely be back. Friends listening to Faculty Factory, I hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this podcast episode with Miss Heather Broad. And you can get her at Heather at heatherbroad.com. And her profile and all the details will be in the facultyfactory.org. If you want to be in the podcast or know someone who should be on this podcast, will you please email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com? Facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. Heather, you're great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim.
Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.